All right. Well, this is, uh, you know, you want me to use this? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really care about this thing. We'll still get the recording, I don't know. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, I wanted to speak on something different, and I felt the Lord wanted me to speak on this, so I wanted to be obedient and actually uh, do that, and I hope that this message will be a blessing to, to you. And I, I consider it a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you today. Um, this message was something I, I spoke on years ago, and it uh, had a lot to do with my own conversion experience, and hopefully it'll uh, speak to you as well. So I read a lot of scripture. Um, some people say I, I maybe uh, speak too fast. I always tell people they just listen too slow. Um, so speed up your hearing a little bit, and we'll get through, get through this in 11 minutes if I do this right Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Okay. All right. So I do like to have a little bit of fun um, when I preach, but it is serious stuff we're going over, so I'll try to balance that out. So we're reading from, um, if you want to uh, call this message, Man Who Came at Night. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. I just ruined it. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start. We'll start with that picture. That's fine. I was going to read first. Um, that's me. Um, I don't know if you can see me. Not the Statue of Liberty. That's, a, that's somebody else. There you go. That's, that's me when I was only 10 years old, and I'm the captain of that ship behind you. You can now uh, pull back out a little bit. There we go. That's the Cristoforo Colombo. What's the matter with you? Yes, it was an Italian liner. Um, I have had the privilege of crossing the ocean in my youth three times, from New York to Europe and one time the other way. And um, and so it left quite an impression on me um, in my uh, youth, uh, how things work. So crossing the ocean and coming in in New York Harbor past the Statue of Liberty um, left an impression on me. Um, and I'm, even back then, as I was a kid, I was thinking, this is what it must have been like to be an immigrant who has crossed the ocean and come to a new land. And having actually crossed the ocean by ship, it's a lot different than by airplane or taking the harbor tour around the Statue of Liberty. Um, and you kind of almost feel that, wow, we've been out at sea for about five days, seeing nothing. And then you come to the harbor and you see the Statue of Liberty. And then you go past Ellis Island. We didn't stop at Ellis Island. This is 1972. But, um, and then you dock and disembark and all that kind of stuff. But um, I found it kind of interesting that um, for many um, hundred years ago, and for many today in other venues, it's a major deal to come here um, from another land, another language, another reality. And here's the thing, to take a risk, a risk that many people who did come over here um, never went back. And when they said goodbye to their families and the way they used to do things, they never saw them again. So it was a big deal. Yeah. We're going to come back to that theme towards the end of the message, but just kind of keep that in mind. So there's me with my boat. I always like to think I was the captain, but I was told otherwise. Yeah, thank, thank you, yes. I've grown a little since then. All right, so you can go on to the next uh, verse, uh, next uh, slide. So I'm going to read, uh, go on to the next slide. Boy, okay, there we go. Can you see that? Great. I didn't hear anybody. Anyway, I'm reading from the New American Standard, so uh, if you don't, if you can't see it too well, just follow along um, in your Bible or uh, just listen. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, 
for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with you. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it of sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world, here's a verse maybe some of you have heard, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. If you can get back to that first picture of, of uh, Nicodemus there. Oh, this is the second picture. There you go. Uh, did anybody ever see the movie Jesus of Nazareth, the 1970 movie? That's uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier. He's playing Nicodemus. It's great. I was watching the clip last night, and I didn't want to harass with clips, so you, see, you read it in the script anyway. But he plays Nicodemus, and he's speaking to Jesus at night. So I want to meditate a little bit on some of the things that you see here. So we'll go back to that fir first verse, and we're going to read this again, and I'll make some commentary. Okay, if we can get to the next, go back to the next one. Thank you. Okay, Nicodemus. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Any idea? So I'm used to being the cover of darkness, yes. So Nicodemus comes at night. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is one of the rulers, and they're not too keen on Jesus, okay? So he's probably not wanting to be seen with him, I guess, okay? And yet he's troubled. He's humbled enough to still try this out, to seek this out. And Jesus, in his uh, rabbinic fashion, throws something totally at him. He just says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, years ago when I was looking at this, I'm thinking, well, Nicodemus isn't that stupid. He says, well, how can a man go back into his mother's womb, right? And I'm, I don't think he was that foolish. He must have known Jesus meant something else by that. Obviously, you're an adult. You're not going to go back to mom. My goodness. Um, that would be pretty bad, right? And then he continues. No, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so it is not a birth 
that is physical. It is a spiritual birth, okay? So there's a lot of commentary about what this word water here means. Some believe it's talking about water baptism, and of course that would mean unless you're baptized, you're not saved. Um, a lot of Christians don't hold to that. Other people see the spirit here as, uh, excuse me, water here symbolizing that they had just come from John's baptism, and, and basically Nicodemus, you're you have to be humble. You have to be like the you know the prostitute and the tax collector and all those people who came to John out in the wilderness and be baptized for repentance. You don't get exempt because you're kind of this big teacher in Israel. Um, others look at this, and I think there's truth in all of them, by the way. Others look at this as because you're born once of your earthly parents through the water, birth, you know, water and so forth. Now you have to be born spiritually as well. Okay, and so he says, do not be amazed at this. And so if we can um, maybe go down a couple of slides, I guess I probably should have had the clicker up here. We get to the one in Jeremiah. No, the yeah, Jeremiah, there it is, okay. Now why would um, this be so amazing? Jesus is saying something I think messianic here. In Jeremiah the prophet, um, for chapter 31, it has this to say about something that's going to happen in the future in Jeremiah's day. Look what it says. At that time, declares the Lord, I, um, verse, excuse me, starting verse 31. Um, it says, um, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, testament, okay, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I'll make after the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So I think here, basically, Jesus is making a point. The kingdom is an internal one. Now, the Jews, as you know, and I have a cast of characters. You can go up one. I guess uh, you see the cast of characters. If you look in Jesus' day, you had four types of people, four types of denominations, if you will, in Judaism or directions. They weren't like they are today. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, okay? So the Pharisees were kind of like the synagogue people. They're the ones who were scribes, often Pharisees. They would be very much knowing their Bible. And theologically, by the way, I like to point out that Jesus was much closer to the Pharisees than to any other group. They believed in all the scripture. They believed in miracles. They believed in the afterlife and so forth. What angered Jesus was not those things. What angered was that they didn't practice what they preached about them. Okay, Another group were the Sadducees, and they were the temple people, and they tend to be a little more liberal, and um, they were tied to the temple. So when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they were definitely unemployed. Okay, so they're, they're gone today. Today's, by the way, Ju that was supposed to be funny. Today's Judaism is um, pretty much Pharisaical Judaism, the Judaism of modern times. The zealots, uh, the people that wanted to throw rocks and stones and flammable things at the Roman occupiers, and um, they wanted to see an earthly kingdom with the Romans gone. And there was a group known as the Essenes, and these are the people that lived out in the desert, and some people think that John the Baptist actually hung out with them. They thought that the, the compromised 
Pharisees, uh, Sadducees, whatever, that are living within Jerusalem were actually uh, compromising with the Romans, and they were wanted nothing to do with that fallen system, and so they stayed out in the desert and lived a very, very rigorous life and uh, looking for the coming of the Messiah um, in a purified form. So those are some of the people that were in Jesus' day. That's the historical stuff of it. Um, but basically, Jesus is now making a point here. Um, we get back to John chapter 3. Okay. Um, and I found some really interesting thing here. The word for spin, uh, spirit is sometimes nuna, okay, which can mean wind, can mean spirit. Um, and he says, the wind blows where it wishes. Yes. Do you see wind? No, you do not, okay? But you do see its effects, okay? Um, and you may hear it because it's rustling against things, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes. And if there's, a, it's probably the central point of this whole thing. I assume we all believe we have to be born again. We have to know Jesus as our Savior. But it's a, there's a phrase here, and a lot of people think it's talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit certainly acts this way. But it says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about people who have the Holy Spirit, those who are saved. It's talking about the Christians. Think about that. The Spirit moves people where he wants them. Those are the people of God, the Spirit-filled people. And I don't know about you, but that requires faith. Faith is not being certain of certain things, not knowing where this is going. Think about Abraham. Abraham, I want you to take your wife, your you know, your your camels, your everything, leave the one city that's actually in the Middle East, Ur, and I want you to go. And God's and, and I sure Abraham's going, Where are we going, God? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. Okay, we're just gonna go. And uh, and he gets Isaac out of that and he gets and, and he winds up in the Holy Land today in Israel. Um God might be calling uh, us and you individually, but even as a church, to go somewhere, to do something that maybe in the flesh does not feel comfortable or so forth, okay? So I think it's interesting. He says, what gives birth to flesh is flesh. A human gives birth to another human. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, there's a whole other life in you. It's the life of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus rebukes him, basically says, um, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And if you have the Proverbs uh, chapter up there, i just like to give this a little note. Some years ago, I was speaking with some uh, uh, you know, Jews and, and so forth. And I always love the scripture. Um, I think it's poetic, but it's interesting because um, he's talking about this very thing. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Well, God, right? Who has gathered all the winds in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Look at this next part. And the son's name. That's in the Jewish Bible. Surely you know. I think that's awesome. Anyway, so, okay. So now we're going to get to a picture of Moses and the serpent. This story is kind of interesting because Jews did not think too highly of the serpent. What is the serpent usually a symbol of? Satan. To the Christians, uh, certainly in the Garden of Eden you have um, 
the serpent in some cultures is seen as a wise kind of being, right? You have the medical people with their wrapped serpents. Other cultures, um, I don't know about you, me and snakes don't get along too great, although I think they're pretty cool. Um, but in, in biblical um, belief, the serpent is seen as something bad, okay? So why is Jesus say this? Remember in Moses' story where he has to go out into the desert, and so why don't we read that from Numbers? I'll kind of go on that. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, it says here, if you can see it, um, when they set out, that's the Israelites, from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against Moses, God and Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. And um, it's always interesting to me when you look at this geographically. Israel is the size of New Jersey. I always say it's the size of New Hampshire because I like to be closer home. But it's a small place. To go from Egypt to Israel, even today, by I guess by camel, would be a three-day's journey. Why did it take 40 years Talk about a scenic route. They didn't, st they didn't stop and ask for directions. This is before GPS. Well, they had God's positional uh, system, but um, it's one thing to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It takes another thing to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. Now, it was bad in Egypt. We're slaves. You're building things for Pharaoh. You can still see them today. Okay, and it's pretty much slave labor. And it, yet, when God asks them, commands them, if you will, to go out into the desert by faith, right? Where are we going, God? We're going to the promised land. Woo! Okay. And they grumble and they complain. I don't know about you, but if I saw food falling out of the sky every day, except Sabbath, if I saw birds falling out of the sky for food, if I, if I see my leader hitting a rock with a big stick and all of a sudden gallons of water gush out, I, I, I'd be pretty impressed. I, yeah, no. Maybe not. Right? They'd seen all this. They'd seen the, I mean, how many times have you seen a sea you know, part in front of you and you walk through it on dry land? <laughs> sure. Okay. Really? Okay. Um, pretty impressive stuff. And they're going through the desert and they grumble and they complain. They grumble and complain. So God sends some serpents against them. So let's hear starts picks up with verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Imagine that. Because we have spoken against the Lord and you, intercede with the Lord that we may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any of man, and he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay? Now that's the story. Now this is what Jesus uses to talk about in the new birth. Okay? Um, I just lost my spot here. Excuse me. Come back. All right. So, here's what he says. Um, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, that is interesting. Okay, so there's a lot, couple things in here. First of all, Nicodemus is being told 
he saw John the Baptist baptizing. The thing that you've been reading about as a teacher of Israel and the prophets is here. Okay, Jeremiah is prophesies a new covenant. It's here. Okay, you got to be humble. Okay, this new covenant is a spiritual covenant of the heart. Okay, and that has a lot of ramifications even in the Old Testament because God has certainly wanted the heart even then. And the covenant of Moses prefigures this by putting a cursed creature, the snake, on a pole. Do we have that picture again? Uh, we have it up. You know, the snake one. You see that on the left, you can see the snake, and then you see cross on the right. And the Israelites actually had to look on the curse, yes, and yet that thing they despised, the thing that they cursed, was the very instrument that healed them. Yes. Jesus isn't liked a whole lot. Yeah. Even Nicodemus is trepid. Tepid? Trepid? Uh -huh. Okay. Coming at night, maybe trying to see what this guy's all about, but let's not, you know, me associate quite with him publicly. And Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is kind of like that. He becomes the cursed on the tree. He is the thing that they despised, will become the very avenue for their redemption. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And so here's what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Monogenes in Greek is only one like him. Okay. We're sons of God, but by adoption, not by nature. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. What did the Israelites do to be saved in the physical? Did they look on the serpent and then do a bunch of good deeds and everything? Hopefully, they had to have a repentant heart, humble, right? They looked on that horrible serpent and their bodies were healed. We come to God with nothing of our own righteousness. Even a great teacher like Nicodemus had to be humble, yes, and risk that humility and look to who? Jesus, that he be healed. And it's a pretty ominous thing, though, because it's the only way you're going to be healed, right? He said, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. The world's judged already. But that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. Isn't that awesome? Christ takes his righteousness and gives it to you. Okay? But... Um, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone, what do you mean? I'm a good person. Okay. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the light the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Okay. I like to give a little bit of my testimony here and then wrap it up with uh, some other things. Um, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if we ever share our testimonies as much in church, but uh, I was a sophomore in college at the University of Maryland. I like to give specifics because I don't want to say, oh, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away this happened. Um, you can talk to the people that knew me. They've been trying not to, but it's okay. All right, so I grew up in the church, yeah. Uh, I always believed in God. 
Um, I always believed, uh, to me, the Trinity and the deity of Christ and the idea of a virgin birth never was a problem for me. I grew up Lutheran, and I actually uh, went to a somewhat evangelical one um, in my later years. But there were things happening in my life which I don't have to go into so much. But um, I remember when I was sitting in my Lutheran church some years ago, the uh, one of the pastor's wives said to me, and I was talking about my relationship with uh, my girlfriend and other things, and she was more of a fundamentalist type, I guess, and she said, well, don't you know you're going to hell? And I'm like, what? You know, and I was like, well, maybe I'm not that good and everything and everything. And then another friend of mine at school uh, told me I was going to hell, and uh, she showed me in the Bible why. It was 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he has a whole list of things there, and I'll let you look at that. And I was like, wow, that's not good. So, long and behold, in my senior year in high school, my girlfriend left me. My band kicked me out. Yeah, I used to run another band. It was different than this one. This band wants to kick me out, but they have Jesus. They have to keep me. It's, you know, you're, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. And since we're the family of God, they have to put up with me. But back then, that wasn't the case. So um, it was a bad situation. So I come to the University of Maryland, this really kind of heartbroken, sad, unhappy person. And there's this campus preacher out there in the front. I'm actually on, on Facebook with him. And uh, he, he goes out there every day, takes his Bible. Not a crazy person, actually very even-keeled, but uh, would just preach the gospel, answering people's questions. And he was really good, and he'd have an answer for everything. And he just was out there, and people threw pies at him and mocked him and laughed at him. But lo and behold, by the time he was done, he had the largest uh, you know campus group on campus, actually started a church out of that. And he basically told me, I'm going to hell. So I got so angry, everybody's telling me I'm going to hell, that I started reading the Bible. I found out they were right. I mean, the whole way through. I read the entire Bible. And I said, well, wait a minute. I don't want to give anyone the preeminence. And when I was in uh, Sunday school years ago, we had this class. This was in eighth grade. We had this class called Comparative Religions. And my Sunday school teacher during Sunday school time would take us to different houses of worship in the neighborhood. And so we looked at different, you know, went to the synagogue, we went to a Greek Orthodox church, we went to other places, Catholic mass. And so in my mind I said, okay, well, if there's a real God, he's going to show himself to me. And I started going to different, so when I was thinking this guy was telling me I was going to hell, let's find out first of all what some of these other people have to say. So I started collecting data and information. Now understand, at this time, I never read anything but Car and Driver magazine. Maybe Motor Trend on a bad day and a really bad road and track. Okay, that was the extent of my literature. Um, if you have seen my office or my house, we have, my wife and I now have over 7,000 books. Um, if, if that, if they've probably more than that. And I, I teach and I read probably, you know, on a good, if I can, I try to read a book or two a week. So that changed. That really got changed me there. So I would start while drinking beers. I was making comparisons between all these different religions, and I never forget, you know, just drinking some Molson's while I'm comparing the Book of Mormon with the Bible and all this stuff. And I went through all this. It's a long, it's a long story. So I don't want to take too much of your time. But lo and behold, I had thought I'd seen everything. I had been to this group, to that group. I've been to the Moonies, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, they came later. Um, the Muslims, the Jews, Catholic Mass. I mean, I went to a lot of stuff uh, my first year. I got one, one amazing education. It had nothing to do with any of the stuff I was studying. Uh, but it was an education probably much more worthwhile. And I had a, a that same girl who told me I was going to hell in high school had a... Um, 
had a tract she gave me because I was asking, what about the Mormons? You know, they kind of still believe uh, that you know God still speaks today, and and so she gave me a tract called the Horrors of Mormonism, and in there it showed how Mormons believe there are many gods and goddesses, and they have their own planets, and and God the Father is a man who's six feet tall, is in a star called Kolob, and I was like, you got to be kidding me! Nobody in their right mind believes this stuff. So I went down to the Mormon church across from college and had it out with them, um, and then I. Some Jehovah's Witnesses get this. This is my second year. They actually showed up at my dorm. I filled out a little form, and they knocked them on this, this nice chair. I don't want to know their names. I don't know. Cheryl and Niall. I guess they probably don't worry. No last names here. But a man in a suit and a woman dressed really nicely and a baby in a stroller knock, show up at my college dorm and uh, argued with them, just trying to figure out this and that. And we had a great time. I mean, hours and hours of this stuff, round and around and around and around. Okay. So that's part of what I was doing. So this is why I know some people say, why do you know so much about these different religions? Well, I went through this with them. Um, and um, But then a charismatic person invited me. I don't know what that was, but uh, they said, you want to come to one of our meetings? It's called the Gathering of Believers. It was just out off of the um, campus. And so I said, oh, should I go? Should I go? So I was praying, okay, God, if this is your will, I'll go. And so they showed up with their car. And this, these people are pretty different. Um, this lady who drove, she, she kept saying, praise the Lord. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, just really happy, goof, you know, kind of. I went to this place, and the speaker there was Larry Tomzak. And um, he, uh, he uh, um, preached, and the atmosphere was quite different. It was electric. It was like a blazing light. I mean, this, I'm having these mystical things. Here. I was looking for it. And he, I remember he said, Hebrews 11, he says, uh, basically, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And he just preached on that. And it was so powerful, it was like a knife went through my soul. And he, he started having an altar call. He said, there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. And I was like, I know Jesus. I've been in church all my life. It was like the Holy Spirit just grabbed me, dragged me up front. This other guy's up front too. He's crying, and I think, oh my goodness, what have I just got myself into? And um, and but I could not deny what it talks about in Acts, where you're cut to the quick. And I was trembling. It was it was all my righteousness. Yes, all my righteousness. I thought I was a pretty good guy, and compared to my friends, I was a good guy. Still, I'm a good guy, but not in God's eyes. And then they took all the chairs out of the way. They started dancing in the spirit. And I said, oh, they're speaking in tongues. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this place is crazy. But it wasn't crazy. It was holy. And I couldn't leave because these people had brought me. And I was, didn't know where I was. So I couldn't walk home either. So I was stuck. God had arrested me. And I wasn't going to go anywhere. But I'll never forget, while we're driving home, back to campus, we passed the VU, which is on Route 1. I don't even know if still there. It was a bar I had attended occasionally. Okay, and uh, and all these people waited in line to get in, so they get their three beers for a dollar, you know. And it place, it, it was a real party school, let me tell you. Unlike up here, I've heard there's not they don't have that up here, but down there they do. And it never forgot that as we're driving by, there was light in that little car we were driving in, in the darkness that was in that bar, and just the emptiness and the and the vainness of it all. It really struck with me. And for the first time in my life, I really realized what sin was. I felt the outer darkness, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth of people who've wasted their lives for this. Yeah. And it's like it really hit hard. I didn't feel good about God at all. I felt terrible. 
I didn't feel like, oh, I found Jesus. I feel No, I felt awful. And it took a few weeks for God to give me his grace to let me really see that. And I went to a, a conference. I went to a, a, literally had a mountaintop experience with my church, Lutheran church. And we went up there, I remember, and God just poured peace on me and something changed, Yeah. I like to say everything's been happy since then. Let me tell you something. God takes you from faith to faith to faith. And just when you think you're getting comfortable, here it's you again. <laughs> okay? Because we are people not of the wind, if you will, just blowing, you know, aimlessly like a rudder. We are people of the Spirit, and God has the sovereign right to take us and plant us and uproot us and move us and take us from our crazy slavery in Egypt and move us through the desert, which actually looks a lot worse sometimes than slavery, and then puts us through this and through that until he gets the sanctified person, the mature person in Christ that he wants to get us ready for something much bigger than the 70 years here on earth, yeah? And I just thought about that, you know, light and darkness. He who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifest and having been wrought in God. You know, I always think of those two visions. So here's my question. If you know the answer, just don't answer it real quickly. What weighs more, a ton of gold or a ton of straw? Anyone? They, that's good. It's good for you. You got that one. They weigh the same because they're a ton, right? But a ton of straw could probably fit this whole room, maybe more, yeah? Looks impressive. A ton of gold looks a lot less, but it's much more solid. Does that make sense? So when this is all over, life, do you have, you know, gold, precious stones? Yes. That when God puts the fire to it, it just stays fine? Or do you have built a lot of stuff that's just worthless? It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of what I get out of that. And I look at Nicodemus, by the way, he did become a follower of Christ, which is great. Some Pharisees did. A lot of them didn't. Okay. Um, can we get to the last uh, slide there, maybe? Back to my boat. Okay. It's not my boat. I definitely can't read that right. Okay. I can't even read that. I can read it from here. Okay. All right. So why do I end with the Statue of Liberty? Well, like I was saying earlier, this journey of Christ is a, is, is a journey of faith. It is the beginning to be born again, to be in the kingdom, to see it, and then to follow Christ wherever he leads you. And I always, again, I was always impressed with this whole notion of America. I'm an immigrant, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't come on the Mayflower. Some people think I did because I look that old, but, um, you know, April showers bring Mayflowers and all that kind of stuff, but um, um, no, I, I came on a 707 Pan Am, okay? Uh, it was not so bad. Um, but, um, you know, my father and my mom, they were raised in a time in Nazi Germany, which was not exactly a great place to be alive. Uh, and then came the war, uh, and then came um, everything got bombed to Schmitterines. And uh, my father, as a student in 1950, came as a, uh, um, as a student here to Swarthmore College outside of Philadelphia. And he actually hitchhiked across America. He had quite an adventure. He fell in love with America, you know, and, um, and dragged my mom and kids over here in 1966 when we came over. And uh, 
the more he stayed here, the more he loved this country, you know. And um, but um, I'm the only American <laughs> in this family. Um, I actually went some years ago, traded in my green card, and became an American citizen. Uh, that day was uh, to, uh, September 10th, 2001. Um, I don't know if you know what happened the next day. Um, New York had some issues, um, and but it, it always amazed me. It, it just to me, it's just the imagery is there that you leave your past behind. Not all of it's bad. I mean, there's things in Germany that are good, you know, but you leave everything behind and you assume a new identity that you know part of this, does that make sense? And you leave the old behind, Egypt, you leave the old behind, your sinful life, or whatever. Or maybe even church, you haven't had a church life, maybe it wasn't all bad, you know what I'm saying? But you now identify and give allegiance to Christ, just like the immigrant who leaves their country behind, maybe sometimes never to see it again, and puts their allegiance in a new land. Yes, does that make sense? And I love the Statue of Liberty. A lot of people, this is this is Emma Lazar. She wrote this after, by the way, came on after the Statue of Liberty had been standing. And it's it's called the New Colossus. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Not like the brazen giant of, oh, thank you, okay. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome, her mild eyes command. The air abridged harbor that twin cities frame, keep ancient lands your storied pomp. And this is kind of a, a rebuke to the, to the kings and the queens and the way things were done in the old world, yes. And it's interesting because the invitation is this, and I, I memorized this back when I was in high school, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless tempest tossed. I lift my land, lamb, beside the golden door. God gives you even a greater invitation. Maybe you've been here, maybe church, but your background. Do you really trust Jesus? Have you made that transition into his kingdom by faith? It's not what you do. It's not where you come from. It's not if you know a lot or don't. I knew a lot of Bible even before I was a Christian. But do you know him? And are you willing to follow him to lots of different places? So that's our message from the man who came at night. Let's pray. And I'll get our band up here. I'm already up here, so the rest of you have to come up here. Okay.